People don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast. From the OU Insider Studios, here's your host, Brandon Drum. All right, welcome to another OU Insider 247 podcast. This week, it's a it's a weird week with it being one program being one and two, the other one being two and one. Uh, 2020 at its finest. We're not used to seeing that from either program, but it is OU Texas weekend, as weird as it sounds. And with that, I have myself, Joey Helmer, Colin Kennedy, and... Now we have Texas's own Mike Roach from Texas 247 joining us. Mike, how's it going, man? I'm good, fellas. How are y'all? Oh, you know, it has uh, been a weird week uh, uh, covering the OU, OU beat, <laughs> if you can only and it's, But it's still like the juice of Texas OU never goes away. Like regardless of the, of the, of the records or whatever, I understand both teams are not in the place they want to be right now, but man, the juice is the juice. It always has been, always will be. It's what makes it the best rivalry in the country. I can, I can go with that. I think OU fans are more worried about what in the hell they're going to do if they start out 0 and 3 in conference. Cause that's something they've, they have never experienced uh, since what? 1996, 97. I mean, it's been 23 years since they've been, in this situation and to have them playing the way they are. And it's not that they're playing like horribly bad. They've lost both games by a grand total of 10 points, but it's been bad play that's cost them in the fourth quarter. And I think Oklahoma fans in general, and even the coaches are probably scratching their head, trying to figure that out. As far as Texas goes after that last week's loss to TCU, can you kind of break down how everything is going and how, I guess, what is the vibe down in Longhorn country? I think it's probably similar. Um, you know, after with the, bringing in new, two new coordinators this year, basically a whole new coaching staff, there was a lot of excitement. And they went out and beat, like, a really bad UTEP team in week one. And it beat them like they should beat a really bad team. And I think that was a little bit exciting to fans because there's times in the past where Texas hasn't beaten teams like that. Um, and then, you know, they they were kind of uh, kind of rudely uh, interrupted by Texas Tech in week two who, who had a – uh, you know, a double-digit lead on them with three minutes left and, and a miraculous comeback made sure Texas didn't start the, the conference season off 0-2. Um, that TCU game, man, that was one of the – I don't know if you guys watched it. It was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen in my life. Um, it was Big 12 refs at their finest. But mm. in the end, you know, Texas is there at the end of the game with a chance to win the game and fumbles the ball. I mean, it's there's a lot of things you can blame on the refs, but the, the chances were right there. And, and I always go back to, you know, like good teams figure out a way to win those games, and even if, you know, things aren't working out in your way. So I think the fans are probably a little more – you know, this is here we go again, the same old team type of stuff. I think the team is actually from talking to people down in Austin, a little more locked in and a little more like we understand that, you know, 
traditionally the path to a conference championship runs through Oklahoma in this conference. And, and for Texas to, to have a chance here to put them down 0-3 um, and, and maybe, you know, put them out of the conference race, I think that that's got them a little excited this week. I think the team's a little more resilient than they have been in, in past years. That's fair. Uh, I, I want to ask Colin real quickly, just kind of walk Mike, if you can. I, I know I've done it on a couple of other, uh, whether it be radio or whatever up here, but can you walk, Colin, can you walk everybody through your thoughts on the OU Texas and uh, just you, the overall vibe that you're getting from maybe both fan bases? You're, you're down in Dallas right now. Uh, so what's the vibe you're getting? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I mean, a lot of people will say that maybe the excitement isn't necessarily as high as it's been in years past. Obviously, Mike, I agree that this rivalry brings out the best in both fan bases. But at the same time, this is a game that I I think is really a determining moment for both programs, not only in the now, but moving forward. I mean, for Oklahoma, you go 0-3 in conference play after this game, it's going to be hellfire and brimstone for that fan base. And then for <laughs> Texas, I mean, if Tom Herman in, what, his fourth year at the helm of the Longhorns isn't able to get the job done against a struggling Oklahoma football team with a, a senior quarterback, I mean, it's just not a good look. So I think more than anything, yes, there's excitement for this game, and justifiably so. I mean, this is, again, one of the best rivalries in all of college sports. But at the same time, I think there's a lot to lose at the same time that there's something to gain from this game. I think this will be a measuring stick for not only the season, but the status of the programs moving forward. And I think everyone realizes that, and that's going to be reflected once these teams take the field. Joey, what's your what's your overall take on this? I mean, it is OU Texas weekend. There's only going to be, what, a quarter of the audience uh, there right now, as far as we know. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be there old ladies flipping both sides off when they come in on the bus this year, because obviously the state fair is not going on. So what, what's your, uh, I guess, what's your overall take as you are and just want people to know he's live from Chile. So <laughs> Chile, so there will be a little bit of background noise. We might have a little bit of noise here, but you know what? This is as must win as a football game for Oklahoma and the OU Texas game as we've seen in quite some time. Um, Oklahoma has not been 0-3 in conference play since 1998. That's a long, long time. And the Natives are going to be really, really restless now if Oklahoma is to lose this game uh, to Texas this weekend. Maybe much more so than some of the other games in the past, just based on the trajectory of the season. The first two games of the year, Oklahoma, you know, arguably should have won both of them. Tackling's been an issue at times. They haven't been able to finish. They have to do so this weekend. And uh, when you look, I'm interested to hear Mike's thoughts on this because I think in many ways, Oklahoma being 0-2 kind of even warms the seat up a little bit more for Tom Herman if he's to lose this game for Texas. You know, this isn't an Oklahoma team uh, right now that's highly regarded as some of the other teams that uh, he's played against and gone 1-3 against so far. Um, I think it, it almost becomes, and our, our Chris Hummer talked about it um, as well, that uh, Tom Herman is in a spot here that's not not that favorable, I think, is a fair way to say it. But uh, does Oklahoma being 0-2 and kind of the perception that if he still loses this game, does that maybe negatively affect him more to say uh, if Oklahoma was 2-0 and at this point? 
Absolutely, because I think if if Oklahoma was at their usual best, and even say, let's give Kansas State their yearly upset of some Big 12 team last two years, Oklahoma, let's say they're even going into this, having beat Iowa State soundly last week, and kind of, okay, the ship's right, and I think that um, a win over Oklahoma in any year is impressive. I think both teams, you, you know, both teams' fans obviously turn on the TV every week and root for the other one to lose, but we all know it's in their best interest for these two teams to be nationally relevant coming into this game um you know for for oklahoma who's fighting for a playoff spot every year they need that texas they need texas to be an impressive win on that resume early on and for texas you know trying to get back into that playoff picture the same thing so i think absolutely it it increases the pressure on tom herman and you know i i I remember flipping over last week to the oklahoma iowa state game and i told my brother at the time i said this is the worst worst nightmare i think for texas because um you know it's hard to see an oklahoma team going three straight losses i just i can't i can't remember the last time i've seen it so i mean you, you really want them you really don't want them backed up against a wall coming into dallas and would you really need a win as well i think despite you know the fact that these two teams may not be performing up to standards that's what makes this weekend's game so interesting yeah, I, I also have another question for you, Mike, because I agree with everything you're saying on on the Herman front. But with with it being a free year, does Ellinger come back for a fifth go at OU? I mean, is that something that people has that has Texas fans wrapped that around their head that they can that that's a possibility? They've certainly talked about it. I just from kind of knowing Sam and knowing those around him. Um, I can't see him coming back for a fifth year unless he knows for a fact, you know, next year's team is going to be a playoff national championship caliber team. And I don't think he can say that for a fact. So I just don't see it happening. I, you know, for Sam, I think his pro prospects are what they are. Um, he's not going to drastically improve them by coming back another year. He is what he is. He's a he's a really good college quarterback. NFL scouts are going to pick a lot of things about his game apart, and he's not going to drastically change that in one year. So it's not like it's going to improve, um, you know, his pro prospects. So I I don't see him coming back personally. Okay. No, I've I've always wondered that, but as I've, I haven't talked to you about that take yet. So I've always just kind of it's been something that's been discussed on OU Insider just. He could be the first QB to ever play five, you know, more than that, actually, it'd be six, wouldn't it? Because he played in the Big 12 title game, six OU Texas. Think about that. That's a crazy stat. Six times that you've played Oklahoma if you're a Texas quarterback. Um, As far as this game goes, I just kind of – what is – we'll we'll start with you, Colin. What is your – if you were going to break this game down into just your top one or two takes of what it's going to take for Oklahoma and or Texas to win the ball game, how would you explain that to somebody? And how would you, I guess, what is your overall take on who, how Texas could win, how Oklahoma could win? And what's it going to take for either one of those programs to come out on top in this odd Red River rivalry? Yeah, a couple of things. In in speaking from a specific matchup standpoint, I I look at this game and I go back to the old saying that games are won on the line of scrimmage. And heading into this season, Texas has an offensive line that it was very encouraged by in the offseason. Obviously, they have a pro caliber left tackle and they were able to keep TCU's defensive line off of Sam Ellinger's zero sacks created. But at the same time, I mean, 
it's a Texas offensive line that it sounds like it hasn't necessarily hit its ceiling yet. And when you look at Oklahoma's defensive line, I mean, they've just been bad, to be quite honest with you. There's been basically zero push. They've generated one sack over the past two games, respectively. And I believe last, last week against Iowa State, they had a grand total of four tackles for loss, and only two of them were generated by defensive linemen. So Texas can really separate itself from Oklahoma on the line of scrimmage because I think they have the advantage defensive line-wise for sure, especially with Oklahoma's offensive line being, again, not good at all. And so it's really about, from a matchup perspective, who is going to win that battle in the trenches. I think Texas has the advantage right now for sure, and that's probably why I was a little bit stunned to see Oklahoma favored in this game because it doesn't take much to see on film who is going to win the battle on the line of scrimmage just on paper. But if OU's offensive or defensive line show up, that makes this game a lot more interesting to me. And then kind of going into the the second point, for me, if you just take all the matchups away, Oklahoma needs things to go right, and Texas has to see things go wrong. Because, for example, I mean, Texas, so many things went their way in that game against Texas Tech that they ended up getting a pretty big comeback win in a game that neither team really looked that good in. And I think for Oklahoma, they've just seen a lot of things go the opposite direction. And everything has kind of collapsed, fallen apart, and they just can't stop the floodgates from opening. And so – For Oklahoma, you have to not only make sure that you're not seeing some sort of catastrophic collapse once things kind of start going the other direction, but you also have to make sure that at some point there's some sort of momentum boost that goes your way and you capitalize on it. And for Texas, if they're able to see some more things go their way, like that Texas Tech game, or if they're able to see some things go the other direction like they saw maybe against TCU, that's to me what's really going to be determining in this outing, and I think it's going to be very fascinating to follow. Joey, what what uh, what's your top one or two reasons why Texas could win? Top one or two reasons why Oklahoma could win this ball game? Well, to me, I think Alex Grinch has uh, spoke about it today when we talked to him. Look, Texas's offense is going to be tough to stop because of the challenges that Sam Ellinger presents in the run game, right? Like Oklahoma is going to account for that, and uh, they're, they're going to have to in this football game. I think something that we talked about on the post game the other day, though, when you look at this OU Texas game, when you look at Red River, typically the team, and Colin alluded to alluded to it as well. Typically, the team that wins this game is one, the team that's more physical in this game, and two, the team that runs the football best in this game. In Oklahoma, right now, you don't feel good about them running the football. How could you? They haven't averaged more than four yards per carry in like five straight games, I think the number is. And that's incredibly concerning. If they're not able to run the football in this game, then that puts Spencer Rattler, a redshirt freshman quarterback, against an incredibly experienced quarterback in Sam Ellinger, uh, who, you know, is going to have the upper edge in that regard. He's not going to be nervous coming into this game. He's seen it. He's gone against a number of different Oklahoma quarterbacks. You can't say the same about Spencer Rattler going into this game. And so uh, that could uh, become a problem. If Oklahoma is not able to run the ball, then Texas is going to be able to pin back and really come after him. So uh, to me, I think that's a couple uh, couple of the key factors. Who's going to be more physical and who's going to run the football better? 
Mike, what, what's your what's your take? I know that Texas seem it, it's probably similar, but it's always interesting to get the Texas side on. How can do you see how Texas could win this ball game? How do you see how Oklahoma could win this ball game? So I totally agree with with Colin and Joey that typically whoever's more physical and whoever runs the ball better wins this game. I mean, I think back to the years in, in the recent years that Texas has won the game. Think back to 2018. I mean, short of a really freakish Kyler Murray comeback um, effort, that was a dominant performance by the Texas offense that basically just ran it down their throat with Sam Ellinger running quarterback power play after play after play, and they couldn't stop it. Um, you know, they were able to really bully them on that day, and and that's what really sticks out to me, definitely up front. Uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, Colin talked a little bit about the Oklahoma defensive line. I think the throw the records out the th- out the window thing matters in rivalry games like this because if I recall correctly, coming into last year's game, Oklahoma's defensive line was also being criticized for not generating a ton of pressure, um, not being able to get to the quarterback, and they were they bothered Sam Ellinger the entire game. I mean, I think they had what seven or eight sacks in that game. So um, I think that that stuff kind of gets uh, changed out when it when it comes to rivalry games. I said this, so I, I just pulled up a text I sent a couple of weeks ago to to a group of friends, um, and this was when I was watching the first half of Oklahoma Kansas State. And I said, here's my way too early take on Oklahoma. They're not nearly as dangerous this year on offense. I said, Rattler might be the best arm talent guy they've had, but he doesn't look like he's nearly as dynamic with his legs as the other guys. And Oklahoma doesn't appear to be able to conventionally run the ball um, without a lot of trickeration and uh, obviously losing a guy like Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon transferring. They've lost a lot of talent in that running back group. I think Texas wins this game by putting the pressure on, on Spencer Rattler, making him the one thing I've seen from Spencer Rattler that I would classify as a negative is he trusts his arm a little too much. I think he, he, he tries to force in some spots at times and, and he'll make some bad decisions at times because he's young. Um, I think that they, if they can put the pressure on him, cause a couple of those, you know, it, it, it just run the ball um, and control the clock. I think that that's how they win the game for Oklahoma. I think that, um, you know, they are still, I, I, you know, they're, they may be a wounded animal, but they're still a dangerous animal. Um, any Lincoln Riley team, while it's still breathing, can score points. And so I think for Texas, they've obviously struggled against the pass a little bit this year. Um, I would really, if I'm Oklahoma, I would really love to see those young receivers step up um, and deliver something special. Uh, you know, some of those big performances we've seen from guys like CeeDee Lamb and Hollywood Brown in the last couple of years. Um, and, and that's how Oklahoma wins the game to me. The, the more fascinating thing, I think, is um, – you know, for, for Rattler to get his first start in this game in a in a stadium with no fans, I think is really interesting because he's not going to be under the usual pressure cooker. So that might be a little bit of an advantage as well. Yeah, we talked about that uh, last uh, in the postgame podcast. We kind of brought up the fact that for all intents and purposes, this is actually going to be a good thing for Spencer because he's not going to have to deal with being told he sucks in a multitude of different ways by Texas fans when he goes back to the sidelines. I mean, some of the things I've heard, some of the things that OU fans say to Texas players and Texas fans say, and it is not PG 13. It is not rated R. It is, uh, I would say you can't rate it because it's nasty stuff that they say to them. And the fact that they're not going to be able to do those type of things this year and get in the head it's actually going to be a positive for Spencer being as young as he is. He's not going to have a fan 
getting in his head when he walks by. I mean, a play enough is bad enough if you throw an interception in a game of this magnitude. That's already going to be in your head. You have a fan, thousands of fans telling you and chanting at you about it. That gets in your head even more. So it's interesting to see how Spencer's going to be able to handle just the the pressure cooker that it is. And the fact that there isn't a lot of fans in there, that actually, that's a good point, Mike. I mean, that that's interesting for me. I, I, I agree. The physicality, that is always some, and even the OU coaches and players talked about this week, the most physical team wins this ball game each and every year. And this game is going to be physical, no matter how you, you slice it. Uh, Creed Humphreys said it's a war for all intents and purposes. It, it doesn't matter how many fans are in there. The, the players don't like each other and the teams don't like each other, and the coaches seemingly don't really get along. The Twitter beef that they go through all the time. I mean, so it is. It's a heated rivalry. There's not a lot of love between the two, and they they get after each other. So uh, you guys are right. The most physical team is going to win this ballgame. Go ahead, Colin. Yeah, I just wanted to add something to this as well because we're talking about physicality and aggression, and Kenneth Murray contributed a ton of that last yeah, he did. year Oklahoma. Now, Brandon, I wanted to bring this up, and it just hit me because I think fans will will really enjoy this for both Oklahoma and Texas. One of the things that I wrote about in my post-game takeaways last season was Alex Grinch waited until last year's game against Texas to roll out his dime package. And that's not necessarily significant when you say that on face value. But what made it so effective, guys, is if you'll remember, Grinch not only brought out an additional defensive back, but he slid down Kenneth Murray to basically like a wide nine technique on the defensive line, essentially vacating the center of the field. And why that was so good to use against a team like Texas is because when you're facing a guy like Kenneth Murray, it doesn't matter if he is lined up at a position like inside linebacker, if he's lined up at the wide nine, you have to account for. And if he's lined up there on the defensive line, you can't just ignore him. So Texas was forced to slide their protection to account for Murray, which then opened things up for all that sack creation that Mike talked about. I mean, Jalen Redmond got in the backfield, Neville Gallimore got in the backfield. But with Kenneth Murray gone and not having that presence to kind of draw the attention away from the other defensive linemen on this roster, that's what's really concerning to me, Brandon. I don't know how... Grinch goes about replicating that. I don't think he can, to be quite honest with you, because I just don't know that Murray's skill set can be replicated. Yeah. But that that's something that could really determine how this game goes is, I mean, does he find a way to divert Texas' attention offensively in some other manner? Well, uh, interesting you bring that up. And I was about to say this part of the game that's interesting to me, and that is Ronnie Perkins. We haven't got to see what he's going to be like this year. He's going to be playing this weekend. He's finally cleared. I got that confirmed. Is that official? I got that confirmed earlier, yeah. So okay. he is he is playing. Um, so I wrote – I don't know when this podcast comes out, but I wrote something for Friday morning, basically the 10 recruitments that shaped this Texas OU game, basically five on each side of these were common recruits. Uh-huh. This side won these guys, this side won the other. How will they affect the game? And a big part of that was Ronnie Perkins, but I wrote it like I don't know if he's if he's going to be clear or not. So wasn't yeah. wasn't sure on that one. Yeah, he's playing. Okay, so I I'll, I'll go ahead and share this on the podcast. Yeah, I'm about to put it up on the board as well. I again I wrote about it yesterday, and that he's likely to play. I talked to another source today. Ronnie is working with the ones right now, and he is going to play. Um, he is, he's playing. 
according to this source, once again, saying, yeah, he's cleared. He is going to play. The, the interesting part is, is that the other two guys, all three took a test last, and we all know what type of test it was. They took a test, a protocol test, um, and they passed with flying colors from what I'm told. Um, <laughs> so that's good news, I guess. Um, uh, <laughs> there was no discoloration, if you will. So, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, uh, that's good news for Oklahoma. The question is, are the other two guys going to be cleared for this week? Uh, according to what I was told, you know, I was told by one person, they really think that's possible and it's going to happen. Another person said, you never know with the NCAA. They could tell you on Friday morning, Friday night, hey, guess what? Those guys can play. So it's one of those deals where Oklahoma has to have these guys potentially ready to go. I'm talking about Trajan Bridges and Ramondre Stevenson because those two are significant players in Oklahoma's offense any way you slice this thing. So particularly Trajan being that he's more of a big play, big catch type guy, uh, Colin, Mike, you covered him in high school. He, he, he's a, he's just got really good hands and he knows how to high point the ball. He just is a, he's a great possession receiver that can do a lot of things with his body that a lot of people can't do. He's got great balance, great control over it in the air. So he, he, he's a playmaker, if you will. And then Ramondre Stevenson being that we call him baby beast mode here in Oklahoma because he's 250 pounds and he runs a four five forty. He's a freak. I mean, the guy is just a freak of nature and he's the type of dude that can wear you down each, each as the game goes on. And he proved that last year. I think he had almost a thousand yards last year. So um, that that's a big loss for Oklahoma, but it's also a big gain if they can get him back. I think that is a big storyline going into this weekend. Who is going to play for Oklahoma? Are they going to get Mr. All-Pac-12 offensive lineman Chris Murray available for this? So I don't know. Um, there is a lot of what-ifs and buts in there for Oklahoma. But the one thing we do know, physicality wins this ball game. And right now, you'd have to say, watching the first three games of the season, Texas has been the most physical team. Now, Oklahoma has shown signs of being really good on defense, and they've shown signs of being really, really bad, most in particular in the fourth quarter. They seem to just choke the game away, uh, not making tackles. Another name that you brought up that was interesting because you said you're going to do a write-up over Mike is Nick Benito. What, what is your – because I, I know you covered him as well. What is your yeah. take on his game, not just in high school, but how he, it's – you know transformed in 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 the college level as well i'm gonna answer your question but first i think the most fascinating part of my life now in this job is that like, like candidly as a kid growing up in texas rooting for texas hating oklahoma could not ever <laughs> imagine um like liking them and now there's legitimately like four or five of the kids i covered that i absolutely love would give up would take a bullet for playing in oklahoma deshaun white is one of my all-time favorite people in the world. I text him after every game um, just to tell him, hey, man, I saw you, saw you did good, you know, proud of you. Um, I, I think I would never say I discovered Trajan Bridges because his his talent is is there, that it was going to happen anyways, but I think I was probably the first guy to ever write an article on him after seeing him. Uh, Austin Stogner is one of my favorite people of all time. Yep. So it's just – it's kind of colored the way I look at the game because I love so many of these kids. Um with Nick Benito, that was such a fascinating situation. That's something we're going to touch on in that article is that, um, you know, that was, he, that guy was Texas all the way on 
like the day before signing day, was going to announce to Texas had given them a silent commitment and then ended up flipping to Oklahoma and has been a really big part, I think, of of the good things that have happened at Oklahoma. I, you know, I, I haven't got to watch all of all of their games this year, but every time I turn it on, I see him kind of forcing some pressure off the edge. Um, Texas has had issues at linebacker. I think that that's a, obviously it's a huge miss and a, and a huge get for, for Oklahoma. So I think in, in, if you wanted me to name, like here's my key players for this game. I think it's both guys that play that type of edge rusher position for both teams. I think it's Nick mm. Benito for Oklahoma and it's Joseph Asai for Texas. As those guys go, you know, that's kind of the way I think the defense is going to go. That's interesting. Joseph Asai has played really well the past two seasons. I've, I'm I, he, I, I'm a big fan of the Osai family in general. Um, I know you are as well, Mike. Uh, just good salt of the earth people. Uh, you, you brought up an interesting fact of, you know, I grew up an OU fan, obviously, covering and watching them, uh, going to all the game season ticket holders with my family back in the day. And the the there's several players on the team, in particular Casey Thompson. Obviously, everybody knows that he – works with my son during the off season at quarterback is not a better person. So uh, that it is interesting, as you said, seeing these guys that you cover and Colin, now you're starting to see it being in the business uh, that you cover, you get to know their families very well and they choose the rival school, but you still love, I love seeing some of these guys just go out there and do their thing. I think it's it's a it's an amazing thing to watch uh, these guys just play out. And then when you get to see them go and play at the next level, it's still that's even more cool because you've watched them since they were a freshman and sophomore in high school, and then you see them out there playing on Sundays, and you're like, "Dad gum." I mean, you saw it; it potential could happen, but then when they make it, it, it kind of makes you beam with pride that you know, that they're, they're out there fulfilling their dream. I think that's the cool part. People don't get that about, they expect us to be like, Oh, I hate this team. Or you're supposed to be on our side because you cover Texas or Oklahoma, man, the people aspect of it, people forget that there's so much of a people aspect in our business. And Mike Colin, you can expound on this as much as you want. It is very, very hard for us to sit there and cheer against a team or even, you know, it's impossible for us to do it because we know so many players on so many different teams. You want them to succeed. Yeah. This job will beat the fan out of you. It It really will. It just, it just, it's by nature. Like there's kids all over the country who I just absolutely love, you know, like obviously like on another end, we should, you know, obviously Texas fans don't get along with A&M, but I watch A&M and they've got guys like Jalen Jones, who I was incredibly close to throughout his recruitment and his family. I still talk to his dad on a weekly basis. So Kenneth Murray was that guy for me. You know, Kenneth Mm -hmm. Murray was one of the first recruits I connected with in this business. And he was always, even though I worked for a small independent site, was always really friendly, really helpful. I saw him through two years of high school, all his whole career at Oklahoma and then now into the NFL it's been really really excited for him I mean that there's no better dude that I've covered in this business that that deserves the what he's getting more than Kenneth Murray yeah I mean a, a Florida fan I wasn't necessarily a fan of either squad so that for me is what has made me appreciate this even more because growing up in the state of Texas you you come to realize how much it means both fan bases but then once you get in the recruiting aspect of things, I think that's what makes this game even more fascinating. I mean, these guys know each other. 
they've grown up around each other. They know each other's tendencies, which then translates into game plans. And I mean, like Bijan is a guy, the Texas running back who walked right up to me just out of the room. I was like, Hey man, I'm Bijan. Nice to meet you. I'm like, why are you talking to me right now? I have no idea what you're doing, but th- these guys are all dudes that have come up with a great appreciation for the game the great appreciation for each other. And I think then it, it creates just the spirited atmosphere. Well, it won't necessarily have the typical stage that it has come Saturday with COVID restrictions and all. I'm just, I'm looking forward to this game, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, we talked about the, just the two or three things that you think is going to be deciding factors in this game. And how much has Mike talked on with this, the audience and there's not going to be a lot of people how much do you think that plays into this and and just the comfortability for say a spencer rattler and being that sim ellinger's been through this five six times already what what is how much much how much of an edge do you give texas in that aspect I think it's hard to get – I mean, it's so funny that we're doing this podcast because it gives you the views <laughs> of both fan bases. Yeah. Um, like I know I've read y'all's board, and um, I go to – you know, it's – first of all, I laugh every Saturday when like a team loses and I go to their board and it's like Fire Lincoln Riley or, you know, Fire I, – I went to the Alabama board last year after they lost to Auburn and it was just like Saban's done. And I'm just like, are you like, (laughs) right? Like, it was just like, are you guys this willing to run off? Like, I think Lincoln Riley's like an amazing coach. Like, are you this willing to run him off because you've hit your first leg of adversity? Um, But reading your board, it's like, yeah, it's, it's as sad as our board. And that's the thing is, I think you guys are looking at this as like, all right, well, tell us about the edge Texas has. And I'm looking at this like, I can't say for sure I think Texas has an edge with the way they played in the last two weeks I mean it's just I think this is two struggling teams right now um, and the one who struggles less is going to win this game I think that it's probably a good uh, you know get your mind right let's let's rewrite the ship game for both teams but I mean and I could see you know maybe both teams go in different directions based on who wins or loses this thing but I don't I'm not sure Texas has a clear edge they probably have the experience edge but I don't know how much that's going to play with without you know the the usual noise I mean Spencer Rattler's not going to have to take a snap backed up into the Texas end with all those fans behind him screaming and that and that's an advantage over what it would normally be for him um, I think experience matters but like I said, with a lot of the juice taken out of it, I, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, anybody's got an edge at this point. Yeah. Uh, the, Joey, what, what's your, what's your take on the edge? I think Mike had a pretty good synopsis of it, but what, what's your take on it? Well, I agree with everything you just said, right? Like this is a completely different OU Texas game than we'll have ever seen. I mean, there's, Spencer Rattler is not going to be taking a snap backed up in the Texas. Sam Ellinger is not going to be taking a snap backed up into the Oklahoma end by the tunnel. Like it's, it's not going to be a complete 50 50 split. Like we've always seen the atmosphere. It'll still be good. Right. It's, it's still two teams, two rivals that hate each other, but um, it's, it's different. There's no question about it. Lincoln Riley has talked about it. I'm, i uh, sure Tom Herman has talked about it plenty as well uh, in his uh, times with the media this week. So um, I, I think for Oklahoma, it is truly about putting four quarters of football together. Like 
it, it's, that's such a football cliche, but Oklahoma has not been able to put four football quarters together. They've collapsed in the fourth quarter the last two games that they played against K-State and Iowa State. They fled in the fourth quarter of both of those. And, you know, you obviously don't want to be trailing against Texas in this football game if you're Oklahoma, and vice versa, obviously. But um, you, you feel like if you have the lead at some point, you're going to be able to make those plays to me. I think Oklahoma has to lead this game going into the fourth quarter. Uh, I haven't uh, checked the line today. Yesterday I know it was Oklahoma by minus two. Uh, but it, to me, I think – it's a total. It's a total pick. I, I real. I really agree with what Mike said as far as um, it, it's hard to give the edge to Texas. It's really hard to give the edge to Oklahoma based on what we've seen. I mean, and again, the experience factor does matter to me. The fact that Sam Ellinger has played in this game several times, but um, to me, if Oklahoma is going to win this game, they're going to be leading this game in the fourth quarter, uh, probably going into the fourth quarter and be able to hold on. Yeah, let me just add to that. Um, the stat came out last week and was added too after the TCU loss. Tom Herman is one in eleven when trailing going into the fourth quarter. So I think that that's wow. obviously a huge a huge part of it. Um, I, I obviously those those records can change and things can can go different, but uh, going with the numbers, that's obviously shows a trend. And I think what's really going to be interesting as well when you bring up those fourth quarter struggles for both teams is the concept of leadership and the, the edge Brandon will go to the team that is able to contain momentum swings from the opposing squad. And that just comes down to who has those vocal presences or those guiding presences to lead them through not only the fourth quarter, but the three quarters beforehand. And I think for both squads, that's kind of the question that has to be answered in this game. I think Texas has the current advantage when it comes to leadership, but at the same time, I mean, this could be that stage that Oklahoma players need to elevate themselves into some of those leadership roles that we've touched on so much. So that, for me, is what's going to be very deciding fourth quarter or the three quarters beforehand, whose leaders are able to direct their squads to victory. And I think while Texas right now has guys who may be a little bit more established from a leadership perspective, Oklahoma has the guys, and they'll need to be able to establish themselves during the action once Saturday arrives. Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm with you guys. I I think that there is a lot of different ways you can cut and slice this game as far as advantages and disadvantages go. But in the end, I think it's just two teams trying to grasp and figure out who they are as an identity. And that's to me on the Texas side of things. I think it's. It's odd, but it's also so very 2020 because you have Sam Ellinger back. You have a lot of guys back and, you know, you're set at the QB position. Obviously, Oklahoma is, but it's a brand new QB. Uh, I just, I wonder what these struggles, before we get into the recruiting and the pick real quick, what, and I'll, I'll give my take real quick on this as well, but what is, or how much do you do you do you consider the COVID and the four months off and all this stuff? How much do you think that's played into just the the lack of consistency with both programs? To me, I think it plays and people get tired of that COVID excuse, but it's real. You don't get that winter workout, you don't get that spring, you don't get that off season, you don't get all that stuff. I just think that that's 
that hurts leadership, building the leadership, you know, as far as the, um, uh, trying to think organically, you know what I'm saying? I think that hurt both programs, all programs. And that's why you're seeing this year be such a weird year. What if it's the last week, six unranked teams beat ranked teams or something to that extent. And was that week three? How many more times do you think that you're going to see that if the big 10 doesn't think they're going to see that and the pac 12 doesn't think they're going to see that they're smoking crack that's going to happen in that league as well because i don't think you're going to see any team go unscathed this year i just i just i just can't see it happening am i am i off base on that i mean maybe uh, alabama clemson those elite teams maybe ohio state but yeah i mean it's it's tough i mean in texas case trying to install a new offense and a new defense with no yeah, spring. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, no uh, limited. I think that's where we're seeing a lot of these discipline issues, uh, a lot of the penalties and, and things like that. And, um, yeah, I, I think people may be tired of hearing the excuse, but, like, it's nobody's ever had to play a season under these conditions. Um, and so, you know, I think that even just the crowd thing, I mean, I, I understand the need for no crowds, and I definitely agree with it. But how different – is that Kansas State game if Owen Field can get cranked up a little bit, you know, in, in no. case. Um, you know, I think that there is no home field advantage anymore. There is no, you know, for, for a team like A&M who, who relies so heavily on the 12th man, like how much can they, um, you know, can those things change the game for them? So, uh, yeah, I think it's a totally valid excuse, and I think that most teams are going to struggle. And it's easy for the, the Pac-10 or the Pac-12 and the Big Ten to sit around and laugh and point, but, like, you're going to be up next, and, and we'll, we'll all see what you have, too. So just be careful with that. It's the same thing I told people when, you know, early on when Tech, I think, got hit with a big COVID deal, and people were pointing and laughing, and I was like, it could be anybody. It could be anybody's school, so don't don't be too quick to – to point and laugh at this sort of thing, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Colin, what, what, do you got anything on that? You're on mute, buddy. You're on mute. <laughs> I mean, it's just common sense. I, I think that Mike brought up a good point in the fact that both units for Texas are going through a new defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator shift. Oklahoma is a young football team, and the less time you spend practicing or being together as a team, it's going to show on the field. And that's what everyone in college football is facing right now. So I, I think that anyone who wants to ignore that quote unquote excuse is just kind of be a little bit ignorant of the current situation we're facing in the sport. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, it's going to be ever more prevalent once some of these other conferences start playing football. Absolutely. So I want to add something to what Mike said about the home field advantage thing, because I think it's really applicable, not necessarily just to this game, because obviously it's neutral, but you, you've seen in the NFL this year, right, where the road team goes in, and typically they're going to have to have a silent snap count. That's not the case this year. And so, yeah, this has completely neutralized the how, how a road team operates offensively uh, when they go into another team's stadium. They don't have to go with that silent snap count and they, you know, you've seen on a number of occasions they've been able to draw the other team off sides in their home stadium. So there's just such a new, a different dynamic this year uh, when it comes to that, along with so many. You be there? Yeah, we lost Joey for a second. Yeah, we lost Joey. Okay, well, so. 
how, he's back. Joey, what'd you say? It's a different dynamic. What? It's just a different dynamic when you talk about how, how you run the offense in another team's stadium right now. You're able to draw them off sides in their own stadium because you're not using that silent snap count. You can go with the hard snap and draw them off sides. So there, there is just so many different dynamics this year. And obviously, as Mike said, with um, Oklahoma, with uh, respect to that K-State game, it, it wasn't necessarily – you know, a true home field advantage, that's one of the examples of it, right? Like the, right. the crowd can get can get cranked up. Well, then, you know, K-State, you're not able to, you know, and I can't give you the numbers right off the top of my head, but you're not able to use those types of silent snipes um, or hard counts that you normally uh, wouldn't be able to use on the road in those kinds of situations. Yeah, and how many times in this in the Red River Shootout does uh, – and sorry, guys, I still call it the Red River Shootout. Um, how many times does it, like – As you should. You know, like, I think back to a couple years ago. I, that 2018 game, Texas is, is dominant. They're going into the fourth quarter, up a couple scores. The Texas end is going nuts. And then all of a sudden it takes one play. It changes the momentum, and that Oklahoma side starts going crazy, and the, the team starts feeding off the crowd, and the crowd starts feeding off the team. And it seems like this uh, like this overwhelming wave um, that, that you can't stop at times. And so I think that that's just such a huge part of the game. It's hard to quantify. It's hard to say what the crowd leads to. But in a game like this, it's definitely – you know, it's going to be completely different without it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, real quick before we get to just a couple of quick recruiting questions. Um, everybody kind of give your takes on the game. I'll start out with my prediction and I know people are going to, uh, mind you, we're recording this on a Wednesday, so don't shoot me if I change it on Friday, but as of Wednesday, October, whatever day today, I don't even know what today's date is. That's how bad it's 7th, October 7th. Okay. As of Wednesday, October 7th, I'm going to go with, and I know all you fans are going to hate me for this. I'm going to predict Texas. I got Texas. I'm going to say 35, 31. I know that's a, that's a, I don't want to say that I feel real comfortable with that pick because I can totally see OU winning this ball game <laughs> in, a, in a variety of ways. Uh, I do think the Ronnie Perkins thing is massive for OU, getting him back. I just don't know where this team is confidence-wise. I don't know where this team is leadership-wise. I think that that is where Oklahoma is lacking right now is leadership. Now, granted, they did a lot of different things this week, and we've, we're going to talk on that on OUinsider.com, the VIP board of what they did in practice a lot of different other things, a lot of insider notes and stuff like that, personnel changes, all that stuff. But, man, I just can't – I can't get myself, after what I've witnessed the past couple of weeks, to predict Oklahoma. And I'm sure, Mike, you're in that same predicament with Texas because you cover it more exclusively. But I just can't – I can't do it with Oklahoma just yet. So, I guess we'll go with you. Well, Mike, you go last since you're the Texas guy. Okay. We'll, go, we'll have you go last. Colin, you go next and Joey. Love that. Yeah, I just I'm going to go with Oklahoma 4238. Uh, I think I have to pick Oklahoma until they're dethroned. Right now, granted, I think I've been hyping up Texas for a while in the preseason and heading into this game. Although I I wasn't necessarily thrilled with what they showed against Texas Tech or TCU. Obviously, I just think though Oklahoma, if Alex Grinch is able to find some sort of personnel package that works similar to that dime with the wide nine and Kenneth Murray from a season ago. 
then maybe they're able to do something to kind of disrupt Sam Ellinger and that offense. But I'm expecting plenty of points to be scored. Obviously, both teams are struggling tackling-wise, and there may be a little bit of identity issues on both defensive units. So I'm going to go 42-38 Oklahoma, but I would not be surprised in the slightest if Texas wins this one big. No. I, I, I don't feel great about it. I, I have a feeling we're probably going to be split between the four of us here. Um, but I'm going to go with Oklahoma in, in this game in primarily for three reasons. Reason number one, I think Mike brought up earlier really good. Um, kind of people jumping on Lincoln Riley after the game. Number one is Lincoln Riley. I, I just have a real – a real trouble seeing him go 0-3, start 0-3 in this league. To, to me, it's hard to believe that he won't have Oklahoma prepared for this football game. Uh, no, number two, uh, Ronnie Perkins being back to me is absolutely massive. Uh, he's a guy, when we talk about turnovers and Oklahoma not being able to create turnovers, he's a guy that can get in the backfield, I feel, and, and, and all by himself create a turnover in, in – is a true difference maker up front that quite simply Oklahoma has not had. And uh, number three, Spencer Rattler in this football game. We talk about the pressure of a guy going into his, into his first uh, Red River showdown. And I think I've talked about it quite a bit today, how Ellinger kind of has that edge. But to me, the pressure isn't necessarily going to be on him like it would be in a, no a normal Red River showdown uh, if – the crowd was completely full and there was that 50-50 split. I think he's going to play a little bit looser than he otherwise would. Uh, again, that's not necessarily addressing anything on the Texas side of things. But to me, those are three reasons why I think Oklahoma uh, – guys, it's a total toss-up. But I'll say 34-31. Okay, so um, I also would have this as a pick em. I guess somebody's got to be a favorite most times, but – um, to me, it's a toss-up. I'm i going to go with – I actually sent my prediction into our managing editor just before this podcast, so I'm going to go based off that since that's going to be written. Um, I can't do give two different ones. Um, <laughs> I've got uh, – let's see. I think Oklahoma, like I said, it's they're ripe. I mean, they're, they're as ripe as they've been in years for the picking, but I don't know that Texas is the team to do it. Now, I, if I go back and look at the first two weeks – I can excuse some things for Texas. I can tell you that special teams was an abomination against Tech, and without that, that would have been a 20-point win. Uh, I can tell you that the officiating was a god-awful against TCU, and uh, they cleaned a, a couple things up, and they should have won that game. But the, the problem is they didn't, and there's not a lot of evidence that I should expect them to start automatically just cleaning those things up. So I actually am going to go with, uh, and I think I've done this the past few years, I think I've gotten this game wrong every year I've been a professional writer I think that every time I pick Texas it's Oklahoma and every time I pick Oklahoma it's Texas uh, call it the subliminal jinx or whatever I've got Oklahoma 37-34 wow so I'm the only one that picked Texas Jordan is on an island wow and you want to know the best part about this is the Texas fans on your site Mike are going to be like oh he's not a homer he picked Texas to win <laughs> Well, that, only if Texas wins. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's, and that's I'm going to be, works. but I'll be hated on our site, so that's all right. It, it'll even out. Um, I guess, lastly, real quick, uh, for the last five minutes, we'll cover uh, the the 
the recruiting, uh, Mike, Texas recruiting. How how have you seen this 2021? Obviously, 2022 started out with a bang. Anytime you get the number one quarterback, the number one player in the country. Um, but how, how do you see all this stuff playing out? And most specifically, I think for both parties here, I think Savion Bird's going to be the topic. And I know you wrote something the other day. I have We both have differing – obviously, you talked to him. And whenever I talk to him, I get an Oklahoma feel. So that's that's the weirdest part about when talking to a kid, you can get two people can get two separate things. And and kids are really good about playing sides too. People need to remember that they're they're yeah. not stupid. They're not stupid. Um. So, but it, what what's your overall take on the Savion Bird recruitment? It's it it's been wild on our end. I don't know about you guys. So I'll tell you the story of the Savion Bird. He and I have not talked in forever, and I've known him since he was became a starter at Duncanville. Like I live in in this area, I'm at Duncanville quite a bit. It's hard for me to not know Duncanville kids well. Yeah. And he and I always talked. We were always close. And then when COVID hit, it was really hard to get him on the phone, and I didn't have my usual opportunities to see him at a camp or practice and stuff. So I finally run into him at his game last week. And me and him went back and forth a little bit because he said, oh, you didn't tell me you were coming out. And I was like, well, you haven't answered a text in six months. So, you know, I don't really know what it would have done had I texted you. And we <laughs> joked and um, we, we connected over the phone over the weekend, had a long, long, what I would call a really honest talk. Like you could tell with recruits sometimes when you get them to a part where it's like, it's less give me this quote and more like just tell me where things are going, things we're at. Um, I got an LSU vibe from the call, but mm-hmm. still talking to people around him, talking to even people at LSU, I still think Oklahoma is probably the favorite in this one. I think that, um, you know, I think that for me, the biggest thing he said was he felt a little more comfortable with the LSU group of recruits than he did with the Oklahoma group of recruits, but there was also a lot of overlap in that group. Um, you know, he mentioned like, like Tristan Lee, who obviously both schools are after hard. And and I think that that could be a determination in his recruitment. I also think SMU is, has gone nowhere. I think that they are very much still a, a threat to land him. I would probably classify, those are the top four, those three in Texas. I would classify Texas as being in last place at this point. Um, mm. they, they've got a chance, but they're going to have to do a lot, a lot of work to, uh, to really pass up everybody. I think that this probably comes down to Oklahoma and SMU, if, if I had to call it gut feeling right now. Yeah, so I got the same vibe. Um, I, uh, okay, so at the Sooner Summit at the time, we're talking August 22nd, August 23rd, 21st, that type of area. I can tell you for a fact that Oklahoma got some uh, – they, they got they got a, some good vibes from him, if you will. Um, and, and talking to him at the time, so did I. Um, and so that, that was, a it was a weird deal to see. So, and th- I asked somebody, the source on the Oklahoma side about the Savion deal and about, you know, why it hasn't come to fruition because he was at one point, it was my understanding. He was trying to get a, uh, a good, uh, a video made. So, um, all that seemed to have stopped. And then I asked my source and he said, well, that's just recruiting. So they weren't, the Oklahoma people didn't seem to be worried about it. They seemed to feel confident of where they stood with him. And same with Tristan Lee. They feel like they're in the lead for Tristan Lee, which is just mind boggling. But it's, I, I mean, if you see 
other sites putting in picks for Tristan Lee, and you see some people, uh, you kind of start hearing things. Tristan Lee, it does seem like Oklahoma is making a pretty good push for Tristan Lee as well right now. Um, and we were talking off air. There's a chance that uh, Caleb Williams could be at the Duncanville IMG game this weekend with his dad. So there's that as well. So there, there's a lot of stuff that could happen. It all depends on how a couple other things with Caleb work out. Uh, and that's something that he'll have to talk to the public about, not me. Um, but there is some new potential news on his front as well uh, here in the near future. Uh, how, where do you see this Texas class ending up, Mike, real quick? It just all depends on how they close. And, um, you know, they're still in it for a couple of big prospects. I think that they probably lead for uh, LJ Johnson, the running back from Cy Fair. I think that, um, you know, they'd love to grab one of those big offensive linemen because offensive line recruiting has struggled. So you can Bryce Foster, Sabian Bird. I just don't see it happening for them. On the defensive side of the ball is really where they want to make it up, though. I think that. You know, Albert Regis, the defensive tackle from Laporte's announcing this weekend. I think Texas is in a very good position there. I think that they're top two for Shamar Turner. They're uh, leading for uh, Terrence Cooks, the linebacker out of Shadow Creek. So they can add a lot of quality on the defensive side of the ball. But it's all about just kind of filling it out, finding another receiver to getting that second running back, LJ Johnson, um, and then, and, you know, really just finishing things out. I think a lot of that's going to depend on, on the way the season plays out. Do you still predict Camardo, you? Yeah, as of now, I actually talked to somebody very close to Kamar last week. He told me, um, as it is, as he always tells me, I don't know what's going on with Kamar. That's, <laughs> that's how he always starts the, the conversation, and then he kind of gets into it. Yeah, still everything still seems that way, although Kamar has not talked commitment anytime soon. So yeah. uh, you guys might still have to sweat that one out for a little bit. Oh, joy. <laughs> oh, joy. Well, Mike, I appreciate you uh, joining us. Uh, tell everybody what you got going on over at Texas 247. Yeah, uh, so we've got our own podcast, The State of Recruiting, which comes out every Friday with uh, myself and Nick Harris, and that's just a strictly recruiting podcast. Um, we do a high school pick them on there as well, so that's always a little fun for us. Um, I've got all my written stuff over at Horns 24-7, um, and then on Twitter, you can find me at uh, Mike Roach 247. And I mainly tweet about hockey over there. He does. He's a big Dallas Star fan. So, not going to lie. His uh, boys got my boys. Yeah. It's, uh, it, was, uh, it was quite a fun playoff run, uh, a really fun playoff run. And uh, you're, you're, you're a Knights fan? I am. Do I have that right? Knights fan. So, I took. I took down Peroni with uh, with Colorado, and then I took down you with the Knights. It was, it was quote, but then Billy Embody got me with Tampa. So uh, it was quite a 24-7 battle. How that? <laughs> well, Mike, I appreciate you uh, coming on with us, man. No problem. You guys have a good one. All right, you too. That was uh, Mike Roach from Horns 247 joining us. Uh, he's got to go cover a couple of high school things. Uh, guys, thank you all for joining us. Uh, that's going to end it here for this Red River rivalry. Red River rivalry. Now I see why he calls it Red River Shootout. It's really hard to say. Um, Red River Shootout, Red River rivalry uh, matchup between OU and Texas this weekend. Colin. Mike, Joey, thank you for joining us. Make sure that you tune into everything on 247 Sports, OUinsider.com, Horns247. There's a lot of stuff going on. Make sure you sign up, VIP members. Mike's the best that there is uh, covering Texas recruiting. He's also really great help covering Oklahoma recruiting. Helps us up quite a bit. Colin, 
uh, always bringing the goods on the VIP and free stuff when it comes to recruiting and team news. And Joey always bringing the good stories uh, when it comes to Oklahoma team stuff. Uh, so thank you all once again for joining us. This is going to do it for us here at the uh, OU Insider Podcast. Uh, signing out. Just want to make a quick note. I know we just ended this podcast, but something to touch on real quickly for you all that aren't on OUinsider.com or 247 Sports right now. If you can, please join. But as far as Ronnie Perkins goes, and this is information that our members have had for a little over 24 hours now. Um, Ronnie Perkins, his availability, I know we talked about him playing earlier in the podcast. That isn't necessarily the case right now. At what point in time, and and I'm not trying to get into a lot of stuff here that's real deep and thorough. If you want all that information, it is going to be on OUinsider.com, 247sports. We are doing 30% off right now, or you can join for $1 a month. There is big news supposed to pop later on this evening if you're listening to it on a Friday. So you might want to do that as well. Oh, and there's some other really neat recruiting stuff and team stuff. Uh, talking about we got injury reports, uh, Seth McGowan updates. We have uh, updates on all the other suspensions. We have Chris Murray updates as far as the UCLA all Pac-12 offensive lineman that transferred from UCLA, his availability and when Oklahoma might think that he could be uh, available to play down the road. We also have uh, other little information, nooks and crannies on stuff that's been going on behind the scenes. Uh, after the Oklahoma started a one and two loss, personnel potential personnel changes, defensively and offensively, who could play running back? It, it's not just gonna, there's not just Marcus Major and uh, TJ Pledger. There's other guys that Oklahoma has in the fold that they can play and fill in those positions. And we touch on that on OU Insider. Just a lot of things that you're missing out if you're not on OUinsider.com. We were also obviously the first to report the potential of Ronnie Perkins to play we reported that last friday afternoon um uh coming texas now things have not progressed the way oklahoma wanted them to as far as them doing everything that they needed to do to to be eligible and i'm talking not just ronnie perkins i'm talking all three suspension guys trajan bridges and ramondre stevenson as well they did it they did everything they could do but right now there's a lot of things up in the air. Uh, obviously, the NCAA is weird. And they could come in last second and say, those guys can play. And at that point in time, you would suspect that Oklahoma's going to play Ramondre Stevenson and Trajan Bridges. Though, I will tell you, as of earlier this week, those two were playing on the scout team. So, we'll see. We'll see. Anyways, um, just wanted to touch on it. It is not set in stone. Uh, at one point in time, they thought it was going to be set in stone. Uh, earlier this week with uh, Ronnie Perkins in particular. Uh, that has not been the case at this juncture in time. I'm talking to you on a Friday afternoon, literally at noon. I'm re-recording this part for you guys. Uh, so just understand that that may not be happening at this point. So just wanted to touch base with that uh, for you guys and uh, go ahead and to uh, say that uh, you know it is what it is. Oklahoma's one and two. They're heading into that OU Texas game uh, against a two and one Texas. Sam Ellinger is banged up. I do want to harp on that. And since 
he is banged up. There's a reason why he's played so up and down to start the season. Um, so if Casey Thompson by chance does play, don't be shocked. Uh, you heard that here first as well. So um, there's a lot of things up in the air. Now, uh, Ellinger could go out and be awesome, but he is banged up. Uh, he is struggling right now physically. So uh, we'll see how all that plays out tomorrow. I'm going to redo my pick. I'm actually swapping it. Oklahoma to win 35-31. Um, after everything that I've heard, just the gut feelings and everything, I said I probably would change it. I'm changing it right here, right now, 35-31 Oklahoma. And that's going to do it right here. I just wanted to add those little nooks and crannies because we recorded this on a Wednesday afternoon. It's finally coming up on a Friday when we're releasing the pregame podcast. Uh, so I want to thank you all for listening to the OU Insider Podcast. I want to thank Mike Roach for joining us from Horns 247. He's amazing at his job, people. Amazing at his job. If you want to know Texas recruiting, that's your man right there. That is your man. I'm not talking about Texas Longhorns. I'm talking about Texas high school football. That is your dude. He helps me out so much, and I'm always super appreciative of Mike. Uh, I want to thank Colin. I also want to thank Joey for joining us. That's going to do it for this version of the 247 Sports and Under Advisor podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Drum. Thank you all once again for joining us.